I'm going to put a question up on the screen, and you have to answer it. If you don't answer it, I will come to your house and I will harass you, okay? Here, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't really do that. Here's the question. I am a fan of, fill in the blank. I am a fan of, fill in the blank. I am a fan of. Somebody tell me, who are you a fan of? Greg, who are you a fan of? The Chicago Cubs. Okay. Somebody else, who are you a fan of? Who's that? Jesus. Okay. Who else? No Cardinal fans here? You know, I notice there's no Cardinal jerseys up here. I'm not sure what that's about, but, uh, well, this is a Christian church. That's why. That's right. Oh, oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that wasn't in the notes. I apologize. Um, next slide. I am a fan of, and the reason is why. Why are you a reason? Why are you a fan of the Cubs? Why are you a fan of the Cardinals? Why are you a fan of the president? Why are you a fan of your governor? Why are you a fan of some Hollywood movie star? Why are you a fan? I read recently of a man that died, probably lived within 60 miles of here, no family, no connection whatsoever. He left everything that he had, six-figure income, to two movie stars that he'd never met. Anybody read that story? in the pantograph about six weeks ago. Over $100,000 to two movie stars that I'd never heard of. So I don't know how real famous they really were, but he'd made a connection with these stars, and in his mind, he wanted to leave them something that mattered. We live in a day and an age of fandom. I watched the Final Four last night. Anybody watch the Final Four? It was unbelievable to see the different fans. And I did a little web surfing this week, and I came up with some of the most radical fans that I could find on the internet. Let's look at some of these pictures here. This actually is a true picture when Illinois beat Ohio State six years ago. Ohio State was number one in football. This is uh, Bucknut, the big fan, and he's with his sons, and he's just heartbroken because his football team has lost to the beloved, the Illini. Well, let's look at the next slide here. I met that guy at the Big Ten Tournament this year. Now, he was walking around downtown Chicago dressed like that. That's a fan. Next slide. I, I don't even know what to say there. I, I, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how you would see. Could you see? I mean, it'd be hard to even see, but he's a fan. Next slide. I, again, I'm not really sure. Um, they're pretty excited. They're dressed up. They look goofy. They're celebrating someone. I think it's actually a soccer match, somebody told me. And then final slide. We had to end with this. This is from this year when Illinois beat Indiana in basketball, okay? And you see people rushing the court, and they're excited. Um, it's fun to be a fan, isn't it? Do you like being a fan? I like being a fan, especially when your team does well, especially when your team succeeds, especially when victory is yours. But you know the thing about a fan? I'm wearing a Blackhawks jersey. I, I brought some Cubs jerseys and Bears jerseys and even found a White Sox jersey. I, I cheer for all of those teams. But you know what? I've never given my life for a hockey team. I've never done anything really crazy, really radical, so that the Chicago Cubs or the Chicago Bears or the Chicago White Sox or the Chicago Blackhawks could succeed. I, I'm just a fan. 
The book that we're going to be studying together for the next couple months is entitled Not a Fan. Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And many of you have purchased it and many of you are reading it. I had someone come up to me Wednesday night and said, it is a tough book to read. It's really challenging me. Another person said, it really makes me feel bad at, at times. And I am hoping that for these next six weeks, you will be challenged. You'll be challenged in a, in a very radical kind of way. Because the point that Kyle Eidelman tried to make with this book is the point that I want us to uncover through these next six sermons. We actually started the sermon series last week when we looked at Nicodemus on Easter Sunday morning. But are we called to be fans of Jesus Christ? Or are we called to be Christ followers? And, and what is the difference? My fear in my heart is that many an American Christian better fits the label fan than follower of Christ. If there is one verse that's kind of going to be leading us through these next six weeks, it's this radical verse that Jesus shared in Luke chapter 9, where he said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross daily, every day, and follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That doesn't sound like a fan. That sounds like life change. That sounds radical. That sounds maybe a little bit over the top. And so for these next six weeks, my prayer for you is that you will be challenged. You'll be challenged by the scripture that we look at. You'll be challenged by the questions that we ask. If you're reading through the book, you'll be challenged by the chapters in the book. And when the series is over, you'll better understand where you're at. Are you just a fan of Jesus? Or can you proudly say, I am a Christ follower? Well, the title of today's sermon are, are three letters put together that don't typically go together. DTR. Anybody know what DTR stands for? CPR is cardiopulmonary resuscitation. We know that, right? STP, I don't even know what STP stands for, the standard petroleum something. What's DTR? Determine the relationship. And that's really what this message this morning is about. I want you to do a self-assessment. If you're all by yourself, if you've got 15 family members near you, it doesn't matter. It's just you and the screen and the bulletin insert and the scripture and the questions that we're going to look at together to try to determine the relationship. I want you to imagine that you have a Saturday morning off and you have no obligations whatsoever. And so you go to your, your favorite coffee shop and maybe, like me, you order a cup of coffee, or maybe, like Hickerson, you order a Diet Coke, or, or, or maybe you get orange juice, and you get your favorite snack, and you go to the back of your, your, your snack shop, and you sit down, and you're all alone at the booth, and you're ready for a really deep discussion, and Jesus Christ squeezes in across from you at the booth. And you've got your coffee, and he, he's drinking whatever it is that Jesus drinks, and you start to have that conversation. You start to have the determine the relationship conversation. And he looks at you and he says, fan or follower? Fan or follower? The most basic definition of fan is this. An enthusiastic 
admirer, an enthusiastic admirer. And I think our country and I think our world is chalked full of people that enthusiastically admire Jesus. Have you ever heard somebody say, wow, I read about Jesus and he was quite a guy? Wow, I read about the heart of Jesus and and I'm moved. Wow, I I, I saw that miracle where he raised the the widow at Nain's son because she was so heartbroken and, and I realized this was a special guy. I will tell you, it's not enough to say, wow, that's a special teacher. Wow, that's a special guy. We're not called just to be fans. We're called to be sold out followers of Jesus Christ. And so to help you this morning determine where you're at in your faith, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to just throw out real quickly three questions for you today. Question number one is this, why are you here? Why are you here? And, and I mean, why are you here on Sunday, April 7? But, but I really mean, why are you here? Why are you hanging out at First Christian Church? Is it just something that you've always done? Is it part of the circles in which you run? Is it because it's the Sunday morning thing that you do? Why are you here? The thing about Jesus in the Gospels is that he always seemed to attract crowds. In fact, he was so sought after by the crowds that when he wanted to have his quiet time, he wanted to have his alone time, he had to do crazy things like stay up all night in seclusion or get up very early in the morning when no one else was around and go off to to a place of solitude. That's what Mark chapter 1 tells us. And I'm convinced that many of us are here, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm glad you're here. I don't want you to stop coming. If you're new, I want you to keep coming. But that's an important question to ask. Why are you here? In John chapter 6, the the crowds gathered because they had heard that this Jesus was pretty special. They'd heard that this Jesus was doing things that no one else had ever done. And in John chapter 6, a huge crowd, we know 5,000 men had gathered. We don't know how many women were there. We don't know how many children were there. Maybe there were 10,000 people. Maybe there were 20,000 people. We're not really sure. But there are thousands of people gathering together. And verse 2 tells us why they came. They came to see miracles. They'd heard about the whole water into wine thing. They'd heard about people that had demons within them, the demons being called out. They'd heard of people that had had diseases their entire life being healed, and they gathered together because they wanted to see a miracle. And Jesus delivers. Anybody know what the miracle was? You remember we studied this about two months ago. He took the five loaves, and he took the two fish, and he fed 15,000, 20,000, 5,000 men we know for sure. A whole bunch of people. It was a miracle. And then remember what he did right after that? He walked on water. So you got back-to-back miracles, and people are just loving it. They're just eating it up. And then Jesus gets into this huge discourse with the religious leaders of the day. And he says things like, I am the bread of life. And he says even more radical things at the end of John chapter 6. And he kind of draws a line in the sand for many of the people that are there. I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth. But I think what Jesus was trying to say is if you're just here to see a show, you got it all wrong. But if you're here to follow me, let's go. We got work to do. 
And you jump all the way down to verse 66, John 6, 66. And here's what it says. From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. Why are you here? What, what are you looking for? What is your motivation in being a person of faith? A couple of years ago, we were preaching through a stewardship series. And, uh, and that's probably one of my least favorite topics to preach on. People think preachers love to preach on money. We really don't. But the thing about it is, Jesus talked about money a lot. So we, we want to talk about it as well to, to honor Jesus and Jesus' teaching. But in the midst of that, I just shared an illustration. I shared an illustration about something that had taken place in my life. We'd had our ministry team and a minister from another church together, and we were out to eat, and, and I got out my wallet, and I bought for everybody, six people, $50. And it was no big deal. I mean, I mean you've done that. Many of you have done that, but I, but I did that, and especially my friend that's not on staff here, one of the cheapest people I know, he, he was just like, wow, I can't believe that you did that, and um, no big deal. And I get home that day, and I open up the mailbox, and I've got a check for $200 in the mailbox. And is it a coincidence? It may very, very well be a coincidence. I believe God was teaching me a lesson about generosity. That I need to be a generous follower of Christ. I shared that illustration. We had a visitor here that day. And he came up to me and he said, Preacher, I am so glad that I was here today. That's a really cool formula that you shared with us. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, you made... A four to one return. You spent 50, you got 200. That's awesome. I'm going to try it. I said, well, slow down, slow down, slow down. That, that's not what I was saying, that you go pay $50 for lunch and you're going to have a $200 check. Oh, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. Well, he came up to me two weeks later and he said, I've been buying coffee and I've been buying meals and I even bought my neighbor a newspaper and I haven't gotten anything. And guess what? I haven't seen him at church since. Why are you here? What are you looking for? What's your motivation to be a person of faith? Question number two, are you all in? Are you all in? Those of you that were athletes, do you remember what it was like at the very beginning of a sport during the year? I remember when we would start basketball practice. What were the first two weeks like? A lot of film session, a lot of just shooting around in the gym, right? wrong right what was it run until you puke right and, and we always would have somebody that would puke because they were out of shape and, and and they just weren't ready to play basketball and I'm convinced our coaches did that to get us in shape but I'm also convinced that sometimes the coaches did it as a little bit of a test how committed are you do you just want to wear the jersey do you want to just wear the warm-ups do you want to be able to just strut down the hallway and say, I'm on the team? Or are you all in? Are you willing to go until you can't go anymore? And I ask you this morning, when it comes to your faith, determining your relationship with Jesus Christ, are you all in? Well, what's this question even mean? Well, I want to look at one of the, 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 the heroes of the faith in the New Testament that I think probably experienced the most radical change in his life, and it didn't happen when he was with Jesus, believe it or not. It happened after Jesus died on the cross, 
after he rose from the grave and after he ascended to heaven. And it, it's the Apostle Peter. We've studied Peter from time to time around here. But I could not help but notice these last couple weeks in preparing for this series the radical, radical change in Peter that we see in the book of Acts compared to the Gospels. So let's look at Peter in the Gospels. Let's put this slide up here first. So, several things that we could throw out about Peter. But Peter, his calling, that was a positive. The positives, at least from my perspective, are in blue. You've got his presence at the Transfiguration. Peter was the first one to get it that Jesus was the Christ. Before anybody else got it, Peter got it. But then just right after that, Jesus has to kind of slow him down. He's kind of built up spiritually in Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Must have crushed Peter to hear that. Peter walked on water. It's not James. It's not John. It's not Philip. It's not Thomas. It's Peter that's walking on water. But then he starts to worry, and he sinks. And when we say sink, I mean, he could have drowned right there. So it's a good and it's a bad. When Jesus is arrested in the garden... You know, it's Peter that grabs the sword to defend Jesus, and you could say that was a positive, but it just shows how spiritually immature Peter was, that Peter didn't really get what this was all about, that he thought his little sword going up against the temple guards was going to do any good. Three years with Jesus, and he still hadn't figured it out. And then probably harshest of all, after Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times, Peter denied him three times. And and that's the picture of a spiritual roller coaster. That's the picture of someone that's up and then someone that's down. And someone's on fire for the Lord and someone's saying, I don't even know his name. You might even say that's the picture of a fan. Somebody that's a fan. Well, what about the book of Acts? The book of Acts really tells a different story in the life of Peter. In Acts chapter 1, it's Peter that's leading the disciples. In Acts chapter 2, it's Peter that's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And if if you're not sure what that is, that's when Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's our favorite verse in the Christian church. We love Acts 2.38. It's Peter that preached that. Peter, verse three, chapter 3, heals in the name of Jesus. Chapter 4, we'll get to this a little bit later, preaches before the Sanhedrin. When Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire in Acts chapter 5, their plot to cheat the church and get ahead. It was Peter that said, you're both going to drop dead. And they did. It's Peter that gets in Simon the sorcerer's face and says, you can't buy the Holy Spirit. You can't buy that power. What are you trying to do? And in Acts chapter 10, we think of Paul as the Christ follower that took the message to the Gentiles, because he did, but it's Peter that received the vision first. I mean, that's a man that's on fire. That's a Christ follower. That's someone who has forsaken it all for the sake of the call. And so I ask you a hard question this morning. Does your Christian life today resemble Peter in the Gospels or Peter in the book of Acts? And I have to confess to you, it was hard for me to type that on the PowerPoint. It was hard for me to type that on the Word document. Because I have to tell you, there's times I think I'm a lot more like Peter in the Gospels than Peter in the book of Acts. I think there's a lot of times that my life looks a lot more like a fan than a follower. Are, Are you all in? Well, question number three, do you own it? 
Do you own it? This is a tough reality for many American Christians in 2013. And here's the tough reality, that they have a faith that is not their own. And I want to illustrate it like this. I'm adopted. Many of you know that. Maybe most of you know that. I was adopted at like two days old. I mean, as an infant at Carl Hospital. And the first Sunday I was alive, my parents had me at First Christian Church in Champaign. And I think I was probably at First Christian Church of Champaign every Sunday until I was 18, unless I was sick or I was on some Boy Scout trip or we were on vacation. I mean, we just did church. And we did Sunday school, and that's when you used to do Sunday night church, and we did Sunday night church, and we did Wednesdays. I mean, we were just one of those families that if the doors were open, we were there. That was just kind of my family's thing. And if you would have asked me when I was 14, 15, 16 years of age, are you a Christian? I would have said, you better believe I'm a Christian. I was baptized at age 7, February 17, 1977. Still remember the day. But I would have to honestly say at the age of 14, I did not have a faith that was Greg Taylor's. It was probably a lot more Dorothy Taylor's than Greg Taylor's. And I can't really give you a point in time. This happened right here and my faith became my own. I can't really tell you when exactly that happened. I think it happened in my late high school years through a series of events. Little Galilee Camp was a part of that, I believe. But at some point, my faith became my own. And yet I'm afraid many don't have a faith that they can call their own. And so I ask you, do you own it? Is your faith in Jesus Christ yours? There's a couple verses of Scripture in Luke chapter 14, and I almost didn't include them because they are, they are out there. They're scary in many ways. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a radical teaching of Jesus. That's a hard teaching of Jesus. You'll probably never hear that teaching on Easter Sunday morning when we have 500 visitors in the house, just to be honest with you. But what Jesus is saying is, do do you own it? He's doing the DTR speech. Is my relationship with you and your relationship with me the most important thing in your life? Anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the first century world, if you saw somebody carrying a cross, they were as good as dead. Life was over. They'd been sentenced to death and there was no appeal process. There was no last-minute stay of execution. If you're carrying the cross, you will die. And Jesus says, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our will. We have to die to our desires. And say, I'm not just a fan. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Luke 14 tells us about a faith that is real and a faith that is owned. A faith that is real and a faith that is owned. We talked about Peter, and and I'm going to bring John into the mix as well. And, you know, when Jesus was arrested, they scattered. I mean, they took off. They They were out of there. They were afraid. They were hiding. And then Jesus rose again, and everything changed. And then several days later, several weeks later, he ascended into heaven. And before he ascended into heaven, he gave him the the pep talk, go and make disciples. 
You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and throughout the ends of the earth. And then Peter and John got busy. And they started boldly proclaiming the name Jesus whenever and wherever they could. And in Acts chapter 4, they're hauled in before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin tries to get tough with them. Sanhedrin tries to really give them a tough time and basically commands them to shut up about Jesus. Just just stop talking about him. We don't want to hear it. He's dead. We killed him. It's over. You be quiet. And I love the Peter that denied Jesus three times. The Peter that was hiding behind locked doors when Jesus was in the grave. This same Peter stands up and says, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. But as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. And that, my friends, is the voice of a Christ follower. Three questions. Maybe you need the rest of today to process this. Maybe you need till next Sunday to process it. Why are you here? Are you all in? Do you own it? See, the bottom line this morning is this. Fan or follower? How do you define your relationship with him? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for the hope that you bring us because of your son, Jesus Christ. The grace that is available. And this morning, and and really for these next six weeks, it's my prayer that, that we'll dig deep within our heart. We'll dig deep within our lives. We'll do an honest assessment. And we'll be able to proudly and boldly say, I'm not a fan. I'm a follower of Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It is invitation time as it is every Sunday here at our church. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward as we sing our song. If you're in need of prayer, Kent Hickerson is in the back. And he would love to have the opportunity to pray with you this morning as we stand together and Jim leads us in our song of commitment.